Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Peart. Once again, and always, I am joined by my co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm good, thank you. I've um, just enjoying the last few days of my annual leave before I'm back to work. Um, I got a new tattoo. Again. Another one. Another yeah, one. We already had one a couple of. Months. I mean, this, maybe this is what happens. But uh, what's it, the latest? Yeah, it is. Uh, so it's like this sword and moons design on the back of my leg on my calf. Um, is this also so... on Twitter? And I haven't seen it. No, it's not. I've not done a photo yet. I've still got the second skin on at the moment, so it's a bit. Um, you can't really see it at the moment. So, um, nice. but then I'm getting another one done tomorrow as well what? because. <laughs> Tilly, whoa, whoa, whoa. calm yourself down. Oh. Well, I was in the tattoo shop and they were, yeah. I was waiting for the artist to just finish up tweaking my designs and I was just looking around and they've got a specials board up and I saw... Oh, like, hang on, like a restaurant. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Hold, hold yeah. The... Hang on. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have been, I have been in one tattoo shop once and that was when an ex-girlfriend of mine, Joanne, this was in 2009, when we were both at uni together. She went in and she was a uh, performing arts student. She was um, an amazing singer. And she got a bass clef on one wrist and a double clef on the other. That's the only time I've ever been in a, in a, in a, in a tattoo parlor. We're going back 14 years. So they have a specials menu. Like when I go into a restaurant and the waitress or waiter will come over and say, uh, you know, on the specials today, we've got sea bass. Is that how it works at the tattoo shop as well? Uh, Not really, no. So it's normally some of the artists will just draw up some designs Mm. and they'll put them up on a board. So they're like pre-done. So you don't have to then come up with a concept or design yourself. So I just was looking along and I saw these tiger's eyes and like part of a tiger space within a leaf. And I fell in love with it because my spirit animal is a tiger. And I was like, yeah. Tilly tiger, Tilly the tiger. Sounds like, a, <laughs> sounds like a kid's book. I like it. You know me well. You've uh, you know me for many a year. What sort of tattoo do you think a man like me could get away with? Or, or could I get a tattoo? You know what? what you know, I'm approaching 40 this year. Father for two a social worker, spends his evenings talking about social work and fantasizing about camper vans. What would a man like me suit in terms of a tattoo? Do you think I could uh, you think I could rock a tattoo or not? And if so... Of course you could. What, well, what do you reckon I could go for? What On that specials board, what would have suited me? You could get something to do with Bruce Springsteen, maybe. I've been like tempted. I have been tempted. Yeah. Born awesome. to run. Bosh. Exactly. Or something to do with your children um, or just a random design that you like. Yeah, you should get a tattoo. Maybe I'll, I'll take you to a tattoo shop. I, have, I, was, uh, I mentioned this because I was fantasizing. I was on a long drive back. I was working away undertaking a parenting assessment a couple of weeks back, a long drive back. And I text one of my friends and I says, I'm thinking about getting that tattoo, thinking about getting a sleeve because I just got into the idea of a sleeve and what I kind of fancied getting is all the sort of things that were important to me and sort of cultural things that I really like. So I'm not going to share my children's names, but you know my children's names, Tilly. Yeah. And obviously yeah. both of their names, you could easily put like items on, which show mm-hmm. what they are. So I was yeah. thinking I could have that. 
And I was thinking, uh, you know, I could have like Bruce Springsteen or some lyrics and I could have like uh, the, the motorbike from the front of the Battle of Hell album. And I could have one of the walkers from War of the World. And I was just thinking I could have like all these kind of like cultural things and I could make them into my sleeve. And then I, I quickly I quickly forgot about that idea and moved on to maybe something interesting that I saw on the side of the road. But for a good, I'd say for a good solid four and a half minutes, I was convinced I was going to be a tattooed man. I mean, that's quite a long time for your attention span, so I'm quite impressed. <laughs> it <laughs> certainly is. And, and you know what I'm like? If there were a bit of tattooist on the side of the M6, I would have got one. You would have stopped. Yeah, I would have. I'm Bang, bang, bang. would have got it done, but... Yeah, it's just packed. It's gone back in the merry-go-round of the deep recesses of my mind, like uh, like a spinning merry-go-round. And it may stop, it may stop, and I may I light up on the idea of getting a tattoo again. Um, I want to run something past you, Tilly, before we get into the uh, before we get into the show. And I know immediately um, I can sense and I can see that you're already getting you you're already getting a bit worried because usually when I come out and say something like this, it's usually something that's probably going to surprise you a bit, isn't it? Are you ready for this? Yeah, I mean I'm cringing already. What are you going to say? Oh dear! Right, come on then. Someone's setting me up on a date. Okay. A okay. date with a, a date with a man. A man date. A man date, okay. A, a friendship date or romantic date? Or... I, I think I think it's friendship, but I can't be sure. So basically, my, my best friend's called Jason. He, he listens to the podcast, so shout out Jason. He quite often uh, drops some hints on the uh, podcast and suggests what you know you and I could be doing better, Tilly. So you know, I'm sure sure he'll definitely feedback on this. And uh, a couple of months ago, he suggested that I, I, I might hit it off with one of his a friend that he's friends with and he thought the two of us might meet well together so a couple of months back he suggested that i hook up with this guy he goes by the name of will and uh, i had other things on i couldn't but he's been pushing it and, and he's broached the subject again he said vince you know i'm really keen for you to meet will and he listed a lot of things you know he says he's you know he's, he's quite committed to his work and he's driven he's ambitious he doesn't drink and he says i think the two of you are getting really well together. So, um, yeah, um, uh, he's taken me out to meet Will on Wednesday night. So we're recording the podcast a, a day or two earlier this week in order to accommodate my uh, my mandate where I'm going for wings with Will at a local sports bar. I've got to be honest with you, Tilly. I'm a little bit nervous. What do I wear? How do I approach it? Like, can you give me some tips on, you know, how you approach a, a mandate? Oh, um, I would say be yourself, but maybe tone down yourself just a little bit. No, that's a bit mean. Um, well, no, Tilly, well, just... well, 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 <laughs> hang on there. Okay. So, so this is meant to be positive. Do you know what I mean? This is meant to be a positive thing. I'm giving you some good advice. I've seen you when you meet people for the first time. And <laughs> you can, yeah. you, you sometimes are a little bit random in your conversation. Um, being myself, perhaps. I'm being myself. Exactly. So maybe just dial that back a little bit. Um, Are you, um, ah, I think you're referring to uh, when you and I last met up and we went out with some of the people who work for uh, Social Work Radio. And I'd met them for the first time. One of my opening questions at a table full of, sort of 12 professional people was, uh, who is your, what, what is your favourite pirate? Is it the new breed of pirates that tend to sort of maraud on dinghies with automatic weapons uh, around the coast of uh, West Africa? 
is uh, the traditional pirates, uh, you know, like Redbeard and Blackbeard that used to sail the high seas, like Pirates of the Caribbean, or is it a music pirate from the late 90s who would use a, a file sharing service such as LimeWire, Napster, or Kazaa? Are you trying to say that's an unusual question to discuss with people you've met for the first time? I mean, I don't think they really know knew what to say when you everyone answered. That everyone answered. They did. I mean, it was a. Some people may have felt a little bit awkward, but um... sensible question. I think, I think <laughs> it, it is. I think I you mean... can tell a lot about. By, I think you can tell a lot, you, you know, about someone by what's their favorite kind of pirate. But do you not think Will Will might not be down with that kind of crack? I mean, get to know him a bit first before you you start I can't have asking. The pirate talk. Yeah, other questions. So just stick to kind of neutral subjects and so stay away from things like politics religion and pirates pirates yeah so listeners okay this is a bit of a psychometric test for you um before next week's uh, uh, show i want you to consider what branch of what what theme or iteration of pirate is your favorite and why great great question to ask our social work audience Ah, why not? Talking, talking <laughs> about professional boundaries on, on this week's show, listeners, we are going to be discussing the importance of maintaining professional boundaries in social work. Are you ready to do this, Tilly, my friend? I am. I'm excited about this one. You should be. It was your topic. It was, you know, ladies' choice. Um, let's move on then. So on this week, guys, we are going to be talking about professional boundaries in social work. This follows on from a news story over at mysocialworknews.com that we ran uh, late last week. Essentially, the story is that a social worker was sanctioned for a relationship with a client she visited for a movie night. It's alleged that an independent social worker from Iowa um, used one of her clients' telehealth sessions to talk about herself and suggested that under different circumstances, she would ask the client out on a date. Uh, the investigation found that she had given the client an article of clothing and requested that the client sew patches onto it. She had visited the client's home for a movie night. Whilst at the client's house, she had taken an item without permission in order to fix it for the client. She told the client that she would ask them out under different circumstances, and she also used telehealth sessions to talk about herself instead of using them to meet the client's needs. So the social worker had said that she denied the allegations, even though there was written evidence to the contrary, and her license was revoked due to, and I quote, that she had not uh, completed her practice in an ethical manner. Now, she has been told that she could return if she completes a comprehensive mental health and boundaries evaluation, completes a clinical practice review, and submits proof that she has completed a course entitled Professional Boundaries and Ethics Enhanced. So, Tilly, uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that social workers should have been struck off? And if so, why? If not, same question, why? I mean, yes, I think she should have been struck off. It's just inappropriate. It's crossing a boundary. She crossed the line. And it's kind of like Social Work 101, isn't it? Don't get romantically or friendship involved with clients. It's best to just steer clear of any of that, set firm boundaries. And that's kind of what you get taught day one of university. Yeah, she breached all of that. I think she, she was right to be struck off. 
Mm, it's a difficult one for me um, because how far did she go? I think that, that what I what I would what I would want to know on this one is: Did this stop before it was found out? I.e., would this have progressed further if it hadn't have been found out and discovered what the social worker was up to, or did it stop at that juncture? Essentially, was there a moment of realization? I'm inclined to believe there wasn't a moment of realization by virtue of the fact that the social worker attempted to deny this, and it was already the fact that there was written evidence to the contrary which proved that she had done this. So, I kind of uh, more on the side of yes, she's right to be sanctioned and is unable to return to practice until she's completed that mandatory training and had a full evaluation. But I don't think it's as conclusive as some. And you know me, Tilly, I'm a fair man. I kind of, you know, I like to, I like to see the human aspect in things. The other reason I'm not sure she should have automatically been struck off is because we go back two weeks and we ran this story, and this is also on mysocialworknews.com listeners. Now, on this occasion, a social worker engaged in a sexual relationship with a service user and bought them alcohol, despite the fact that the service user had a history of substance misuse. It was a five-month relationship between social worker and client um, that lasted from October 2019 to February 2020. So even though this is over three years ago, uh, it's already come through the fitness to practice procedure and this male social work has already come off the uh, register and been dismissed from the profession. Now, the relationship also only came to light when the service user reported it to the police. Because without saying, I imagine that you think that social worker was right to be struck off. Yeah, this is way worse than the first story. Of course story. it is. Um, just the manipulation that went into this, that he was trading effectively sexual favours for the alcohol. I mean, he mm-hmm. was a substance misuse social worker and he just exploited this woman. Yeah. And whether it was consensual or not in terms in sort of the black and white legal side of things of yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't yeah. prosecuted legally we've got to say that haven't we yeah i mean but ethically and professionally it's just yeah, it's disgusting it's awful absolutely awful i mean i'm so glad that he's no longer a social worker and had it not been for the, the service user to have come forward then it would have probably continued now what i always think about stories like that is what on earth was this guy getting away with that we don't know because we know when we look at the behaviors of perpetrators that the fantasy and the desire is far removed from the actual reality and that is also far removed from the victim's recounting which is also far removed from the conviction so you think of it like an upside down funnel you know, at the top of a perpetrator's desire is what they would like to do if they could get away with it. And then you've got various factors which funnel that down and restrict that based upon their own inhibitions, society's inhibitions, access, the victim's resistance and victim availability and so on. Then under that, you've got what they actually managed to get away with. Then under that, you've got what the victim was able to recount. Now, in many of these situations, as we've seen in this case, you know, you're dealing with vulnerable people, vulnerable people who've got substance misuse problems and who are clearly scared of the power imbalance. This was her social worker held a significant amount of power over her. Let's not forget this. And then 
what is actually does happen, then underneath that you've got what the police, or in this case police couldn't do anything whatsoever despite the fact this service user raised this issue with the police, clearly desperate for them to take action. She clearly felt it warranted criminal investigation and police action, lest she would not have raised this with the authorities. Then underneath that you've got what you know the police can convict, or in this case what social work England could do. So I always think we have to be very, very mindful where we find out what people have been caught for and established to have done, just what on earth they would like to have done and what on earth they have actually done, given we know that the vast majority of occasions people have done far more than they end up getting caught and convicted of. So this is clearly someone that we are well shot of and well glad to be rid of in our profession. Absolutely. I mean, were there anyone else? I mean, exactly. Who knows? It's it's a scary thought. I I hope it was a one-off, but I suppose we won't know, will we? Unless other people come forward. So let's compare those two things. Now I know we don't compare apples and pears, and these situations aren't like for like. But in my mind, I would question how on earth anybody can look at these two things and say oh well they're both warranting a striking off in the context of that second one do we not deserve to have a bit more compassion for the first social worker or are we not talking about you know things being on a spectrum here you know once you reach a certain point once you get past that post regardless of how much further you go is it an automatic striking off offense should you automatically be sanctioned and prevented from working for the profession working as a social worker in the profession again yeah I mean I probably take a slightly harder line than you do I think with these sorts of things Um, I think once you kind of cross that line in the sand there's no going back and if you're prepared to have done that and you've acted in that way I don't know if there's much redemption in terms of being a social worker again I mean I'm not saying that that these people can't redeem themselves in some ways and and change their attitudes and beliefs because people do change over time otherwise we wouldn't be in our, our job at all but I think once you've breached that trust as a social worker there's no going back I mean we need to be squeaky clean in terms of our our professional boundaries really we're we're in such positions of power over people that there really shouldn't be any question that any of the vulnerable people that we're supporting that they need to be able to feel safe in our presence I mean we do a lot of loan working um, we're in very very vulnerable situations with people and they need to have 100% confidence that we're there for their best interest and we're there to do a job and be professional and I think if you can't do that then you have no right being a social worker. But mm-hmm. am I being too harsh on that? What what What's your measure on the situation? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a bit sort of softer on these things. You know, look, if, if we didn't believe people could change, we, we're doing a pretty poor job in social work. And I think if we can't show compassion for our fellow social workers, then I think it's difficult to show compassion for our, our clients and the people we support because it's sort of, it's about being human and it's about being humane it's about being empathetic and showing congruence and it doesn't matter what kind of person you're dealing with you've kind of got to try and understand that and i just i think there's a marked difference between saying to a client oh you know if it, if in a different world we could be together there's no inclination that there was a sexual relationship with this first one yes she did go to their house for a movie night she took an item in order to repair it she asked them to repair some of their clothes 
and she spent some of the telehealth session talking about herself. Now, yes, of course, this is in the early stages. I'm not denying this is obviously in the early stages of a sort of fledgling relationship potentially developing. Yes, there should be a punishment, but I just wonder whether that immediate kind of, you know, suspension of the license is the right option. And perhaps, actually, perhaps this was something that was considered on the panel, uh, you know, when this was looked at. And if the social worker had have admitted it, and that is probably the mitigating factor, I maybe would like to guess, if she had admitted it, perhaps it wouldn't have gone this far. I'm going to ask this question, Tilly, and this is, you know, kind of, you know, more about this subject, but going a bit wider. What's more important to you, finding true love or being successful at work? I hate it when these things are pitted against each other because I don't see why you can't have both. I'll tell you why you can't have both. This is where I'm getting <laughs> to this question. You meet the love of your life. You meet the love of your life, but they happen to be somebody who is in a difficult position in their life for a split second. You know, they'd make one mistake, they go downhill, they have significant stresses and they end up becoming known to social services and you happen to be allocated to them. But you meet that person, somehow you realise they're your soulmate. What do you do? But you would never let it develop that. So oh, I oh so, so, so is that how love works, Tilly? Is that how love... Oh, wow. Well, right, I'm not a believer in secret. love at first sight. I, I don't believe it. If you believe that love can be switched off and you can control your feelings, Tilly then let's 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 see your essay on that one okay no i don't believe that love can be switched off like that but i don't believe in love and first sight i think you being... don't believe in it but you 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 know that some people do you you understand do, there yeah. is such a concept of love at first sight yeah of course do. i do i do right, but so put yourself in a position think... where somebody does believe in love and first sight they do not even at first sight they gradually grow feelings for this person that they can't control you and i both know Tilly, that you cannot control who you love you cannot, when you get in good relationships, when you get in difficult relationships, however it is that, you know, love is an uncontrollable emotion, is it not? It is, it is. But I just, I don't know, maybe I'm more black and white. I just, I wouldn't ever allow myself to see someone like that. If if you're supporting someone as their social worker, they are your client. And if even if you're attracted to them in some ways, you just you wouldn't even think of them like that. I don't know. I just, maybe I've just never been in but that But the, the point is, Tilly, but... the, the point is that I imagine people who do fall in love with their clients never thought it would happen to them either. I'm sure they don't. I'm and that's sure. the key. You don't... you don't You don't go into social work. Well, obviously that wrong and did. He went into social work looking to take advantage. But the vast majority of people do not go into social work thinking, oh, brilliant, this will be an excellent opportunity to meet a new partner. I, 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 what I'm saying is... If you meet somebody and you realize that they're your soulmate and they are the one for you, but they just so happen to be in a short period of crisis in their lives where they have had a social worker allocated to them, what's more important to have that true love or to be successful at work and to continue as a social worker? Oh, see, I would continue as a social worker. I wouldn't see that as the true love, but maybe I'm cold hearted. What question right back at you? What what do you think? I think I would give up my career. I genuinely could because you know if you if we think about you know the regrets of the dying, and we did that on a podcast you know many months ago. Some of the key regrets of people as they are on the verge of moving on is that they spent too much time at work. 
that they committed themselves too much to work, they did not take opportunities, and they did not focus on love and relationships and the things that matter. And obviously, it's very different now, you know, I've got kids and that. Uh, so my position is very different. But if I, 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 I honestly would, if I was faced with that position, I would think, well, if that's my one chance of true love, and that's my soulmate, and they're the one for me, would I rather live my life knowing that I had given up my one chance of true love? Or would I rather live my life knowing that I'd given up a profession? It, it's a simple answer for me. I would much rather walk away from a job than I would walk away from the love of my life. See, I had to consider this when I, uh, first of all, just to clarify, not in a, a social work client situation, but with oh, my Jelly, I thought we were going to get... Oh, oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> we were getting excited no. there, my friend. I thought, oh, this is some good, this is going to be some good content. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing that salacious, I'm afraid. Um, but no, with my ex-boyfriend, who you know, Vince, that was living in Croatia, I know it turned out to be a disaster, but there was... There was a time when I considered moving out to Croatia and giving up yeah. social work. And I, I had to, to think to myself, am I going to follow my heart and leave behind everything that I know, including my job and my profession, but other things as well, my family, my friends, my everything that I, I knew, my culture, everything. Would I have done that for someone? Um, and no, I wouldn't actually and I mean maybe it was because it wasn't true love and I'm glad it wasn't because you all know that that, that ended up in a complete and utter disaster um, and thank goodness I didn't move out to Croatia and give up everything but I, I had to consider it um, would it if it was just social work would I have given it up potentially I think I, I suppose in the round what stopped me was the family the friends the, there we go. the, the everything wasn't just a job it was, was it it wasn't just a job that stopped me no, no. would i and it's isolating it? yourself no it, it, yeah not, it, 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 you know it could be i'm not saying that's a bad thing but it's not as if you're you're moving 300 miles across the country where you could get somewhere and no. you know three four hours five hours drive or something you know you're moving into a different country you've got none of the familial cultural cornerstones you have to start and it's it's very very different isn't it it's not you know, you're not moving to the other side of the country. You're, you're moving to a different country. It's very, very different to relocating because that happens all the time. People, you know, move to different parts of the country all the time, and that's you know, far easier to do than move abroad. So, you've moved a little bit. You potentially would, if you met the love of your life, you potentially would give up your job. Yeah, well, I'm quite impulsive, so I'd probably ah. make an on the whim decision and then end up regretting it afterwards. But, um, yeah. Potentially, I would. How often yeah. do you feel social workers might develop feelings for clients but never act on them? Because what you said there, I think, is a very interesting point. You know, well, you wouldn't. If you would stop yourself from feeling that way because it's very black and white, you would put your walls up. So how often do you think that happens? How often do you think social workers get an inkling and think, wow, this person's really, really special, but prevent themselves from acting on them? I can hand on heart say it's never happened to me. But do you think that does happen? I'm sure it probably does. I mean, I can't think, I mean, it's never happened to me and it's never, as to the best of my knowledge, happened to the, the my colleagues or the people around me that I work with. 
Um, yeah, but you wouldn't tell anyone, I would you? No, I wouldn't. You wouldn't know. tell anyone. I wouldn't <laughs> tell anyone. If it, I mean, I've not seen it has happened to me. Like I say, I don't know. It genuinely hasn't. But um, people wouldn't tell if that happened to them. If they thought, ooh, you know, ooh, she's a bit of all right. Yeah, and I suppose we work in wider family circles, don't we, as well? Mm. So often it might not be the person that's directly your client, I suppose, mm-hmm. but, but uh, another family member or a friend or just an acquaintance that you kind of cross paths with. I suppose that might happen fairly frequently. I don't know. Yeah, it, it hasn't happened to me, so I can't, I can't say, but I'm hoping that, that if people do feel that way, then they would just put their walls up and, and think that's not okay. I can't do that and move on. Yeah. I think it probably does happen. I think it genuinely does. I think we, when you work in a career like we do, where you you have to know people intimately and you spend a lot of time with them, um, I think it probably does happen a hell of a lot more. I you know I imagine there's people listening to this who either it's happened to themselves or will know of people that have felt that way. Um, let's move on onto a different kind of professional boundary here and move away from you know the topics of the two stories we've covered and that sort of more romantic sexual side of things. Boundaries can mean also overstepping your own and sort of going above and beyond, not in a romantic or sexual manner or for any sort of personal gain, but simply you know doing a bit too much more than you know the professional really allow to allow you to. Have there been times, Tilly, when you've wanted to save people and rescue people and go on above and beyond and kind of intervene in people's lives more than you were allowed to? Perhaps felt like taking somebody home or something. Uh, not in the way we've just talked about, not in that way, but, you know, taking somebody home and being kindly to them and looking after them. Obviously, we can't go into details here, but um, have you ever felt that way before? Yeah, I mean, there have been times where I've gone and, got some food shopping for someone or got them a, a meal or something if that someone's having a really hard time and it's probably I suppose in black and white terms that's overstepping a, mm. a boundary I mean I've done it above board I've, I've documented what I've done and why it's always been with with consultation with other people um but yeah I think I think it's hard not to as social workers we see people in in really dire situations sometimes and and we're working with really really limited resources and yeah. sometimes it can be you might spend half a day trying to get someone a 20 pound food shopping voucher to to get that signed off by a manager where you think actually I can just go out to the shop exactly. and get them something myself and it's going to save everyone a lot of time and effort we shouldn't do it um and we certainly shouldn't be expected to do it but we're caring people and i think if if there are social workers out there that said they absolutely wouldn't do that i think there's not many social workers i know that wouldn't mm. um and i know and most of my colleagues that i've worked with there have been times where people have gone above and beyond um We've had quite a lot of rescuing pets, actually, at work. <laughs> um, it comes up yeah. quite a lot, actually, in, in adult services. If someone goes into hospital or goes into a care home on your left, because we Did have you not have stuff. some farm animals to rehome some oh, time? Oh, um, not rehoming the farm animals. That was to try and find a farmer to look after them when that the farmer went into hospital. Um, but, yeah, we've had so many situations where for whatever reason their owner can't look after them anymore and because local authorities are charged with 
protecting the person's property if they're in hospital or care homes animals come into the category of property of course, of course. and um so we often have to make arrangements and it can be really hard because there's not many charities out there that that take on pets and things like catteries and kennels if it's cats or dogs um you've got to have them vaccinated and wormed and checked and often we we don't know if they are or not um perhaps that person that's gone into the hospital or care home can't communicate anything about their pets so we're left dealing with an animal and i've known many social workers and admin staff and and managers and that have taken home pets either yeah. looked after them on a temporary basis or ended up adopting them actually because there was nowhere else for them to go it would have been that or have the animal put to sleep so okay. yeah I, I think it's in those sense of overstepping the professional boundaries i i think that happens all the time do, do you have you come across things like that yeah definitely i um you know many occasion where exactly like exactly like you where i've just taken money out of my own pocket and put you know how how could i not go down to the corner shop and put 20 pound on the gas or electric meter at 7 p.m. when I know that there's no other way for those children to be warm that night or to have the lights on because nobody's going to be answering the phone and nobody's going to be signing off the paperwork for 20 quid at that time of night. You know, yes, look, I, I understand that we have to document things. I understand we have to be accountable for the money we spend in social work, but the effort to get a £20 food voucher or a £10 sign-off for some money on the gas or electric or some nappies or baby formula, bottle formula for a baby. You could literally, I'm not exaggerating this, you could be talking about hundreds and hundreds of pounds in terms of man and woman hours spent doing that. If you think of the hourly wage of a service manager who has to spend the time doing that, of all the workers that have to run around, there's been, there's been farcical situations far too many times where I care to mention where in order to get a food parcel worth about £10. I have to drive to the office when I've been working from home. I have to go to that. That's an hour in the car if I'm, if I'm, you know, based in a place where I'm, you know, a little bit farther away than where I usually would be where I work and live. So you spend an hour in the car, you then go to the office, you get a bit of paperwork, you go and sign off, then you'll drive to the client's house. You'll then take them with you to go and get the food parcel and you'll take them back. I'm not exaggerating here, Tilly, I'm out to say you potentially spent four or five hours doing that. You've probably spent far more than the £10 on fuel. And in terms of the hours that you've spent and what's taken away from, it's costed five, ten times more than the actual food would have been worth. Oh, so many times. That's a very familiar story to, to many social workers out there. And, I'm sure. and if you times that, if you extrapolate that over, how many social workers are doing that across the world? How many times a day? And how much that is costing in terms of the actual simply saying to the client that we support, okay, yeah, I trust you on this once. We'll just put £10 in your bank. Give us the receipt to say you've done that. If you don't do it, you won't get it at the end. Like, it's just the drive for accountability and to try and weed out the very, very few people that will game the system comes at the expense of everyone. It really does. And it's that it's situations like that, or, you know, when I've been supervising some family time and, you know, it's been raining outside and there's been nowhere booked. And I thought, oh, you know, I put my hand in my pocket. I'll take the kids to McDonald's. We'll go to a local soft play. We'll go to the cinema or something like that. So yeah, 
by the book, I shouldn't have been doing that. And like you, I've always explained that I've done it and I've always, you know, signed it off. But I, I can sleep easy at night. I can sleep far easier at night. And I know that when my good deeds are weighed and measured at the end of my life, then that's going to be in the good category. That's going to be a good deed that I've done just because it maybe wasn't correct by the system. I'd rather I'd rather do the right thing by people than the right thing by the system. Yeah, and I think that's the sort of stuff that doesn't really get taught at university, does doesn't. it? Because if you do, I remember doing, I think, maybe one module, um, one one lecture on professional boundaries, and it was a very much black and white approach. You, you can't do this, you no. can't do that, you can never pay for anything out of your own pocket, that's really bad. But actually, when you get faced with those situations in practice, we are human, and actually just, as you say, being kind and doing a good deed is going to save a lot of effort and heartache and and stress that you'll probably end up causing just yourself just from having to do all the extra paperwork. So I'm going to ask you this question. Is it possible to expect social workers to be human, empathetic and caring, which our training and our professional guidelines and our statutory responsibilities enforce us to be, rightly so, is it possible to be all of those things yet not open ourselves up to the potential to cross professional boundaries? I suppose from the way I see it, there's a difference between between being friendly and being someone's friend. And I think that's where I draw the line. So to me, putting £10 on someone's gas or electric meter or, or getting them some milk and bread from a corner shop that's being friendly mm-hmm. that's being a good neighbor a good samaritan and doing a good deed but actually like that social worker in the first example going for a movie night at a client's house that's that's trying to be someone's friend and we are in such a position of power in in social work in no matter what setting you're in there's going to be a power imbalance as soon as you cross that line where you become someone's friend you've ruined the relationship and you can't then do your job properly because that person you've blurred the boundaries and, and you've you've made it difficult for all involved so I think that's where you've got to to make sure that that you know your actions and that you know yourself and you know where those those boundaries lay. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, Tilly. I just I think that I think it's a difficult one because it's it's comes back to what you said about you know you're not really taught this at university. It's 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 those fine lines for me and coloring out the lines and it's it's what happens in between that makes you a good social worker. It's not following the book. It's not following your training to the letter. It's not doing what the guidance tells you. It's not doing what the legislation tells you. It's not doing what mon manager tells you or the service manager tells you or the independent reviewing officer tells you or determining a you know a combination of the five voices that you hear in a core group and trying to find one unified way forward out of those competed voices and deciding that's what I'm going to do. It's what you do in those gaps. And, and I think if you bear in mind, you know, do good to others and do no harm, then I don't think you'll go far wrong. And we have to accept, Tilly, don't we, that the system we work in does harm people. We as social workers, even though a lot of us don't like to admit it, and it can be hard to admit at times, 
we are paid for by the government, we are mandated by the government, we are legislated by the government, and we are given our professional status and license by the government. So we are an arm of the government. We are there to enact government policy. And this is the same government, let us not forget, that is doing many heinous things to the most vulnerable people of society. So do we not have have to, you know, do we not have to work outside those boundaries on occasion in order to do right by the people we support? Is that not a given, Tilly? Yeah, of course we do. I always think back to myself, if I had to justify what I'm doing in a court of law in front of a judge and a jury, would what I'm doing sound reasonable or not? And that's how I put it in my mind when I've got a questionable ethical dilemma in front of me. And we're not asked to be right all the time. Mm -hmm. We're just asked to be defensible and reasonable. Um, And I think if you live kind of by that mantra and you work by that mantra, you're not going to go far wrong. So turn the clock back. Are you going to give our movie night social worker a second chance or is that still off the table? No, it's still off the table for me. She crossed that line into friendship. Sorry. I wouldn't like like to be before you in the magistrate's court, Tilly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. If I saw you up there, I'd be thinking, no, well... I'd be doing my Hail Marys and I'd be saying goodbye to my family. I'd think, oh, God, I've got Baden. I've got Baden on the bench. No. Sorry. I'm going down. I'm going down. (laughs) I'm not saying in prison, the social worker. But but, um, I mean, if she can genuinely reflect on her practice and do all those actions that have been outlined, then... I don't have yeah. a problem with her returning. I no, think. I think it should have been honest. I, th- I think it's it's a dishonesty yeah. there. It is the dishonesty. And yeah, on that note, guys, uh, that's a wrap. Thank you ever so much. Good topic. It was Tilly's choice today. I said to Tilly the other day, what do you fancy covering? And you picked this one up. So Tilly, I think we'll have to uh, you know, ooh, start uh, deferring some of the responsibility for these topics to you. We might get less talk about pirates in the future. I mean, well, we still did quite a big chunk of this podcast talking about pirates, so I think you're safe. But we avoided the role play today, so I am happy. Shiver me timbers. On that note, guys, as always, (laughs) it did shiver my timbers. On that note, guys, as always, thank you once again for tuning in to Social Work Radio. Please do consider leaving a review via iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else where you get your audio pleasure from Tilly and I on a weekly basis. We will, as always, read out your reviews on next week's show if you are kindly enough to lead one there. You can find the story that we've discussed over at mysocialworknews.com and a plethora of other news stories and articles and columns written by people such as Tilly and I over there. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and potentially other places such as TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but Tilly, you might be, or maybe you're not. I don't know. Are you on TikTok? Have you got a social work account or or just a personal one? Just a personal one. I mean, you can by all means have a look, but it's just pictures of me and my horses. So it's not that interesting. And that wouldn't be blurring professional boundaries. So if you want some horse and tattoos, uh, find Tilly on TikTok. Until next week, where uh, we'll be talking exclusively about pirates and which one is your favourite. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.